0: Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Danny Lavery. And with me in the studio this week is Christina Gaddy, the author of Well of Souls, Uncovering the Banjo's Hidden History, and Flowers in the Gutter, The True Story of the Edelweiss Pirates, Teenagers Who Resisted the Nazis. Christina, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Danny. I'm so
0: happy that you're here. Uh, Christina is one of my new summer camp friends. We were just at a writer's residency together up in the Berkshires where we spent Every day, getting breakfast together at eight AM and dinner at five thirty <laughs> on the dot, and uh, as such, are now like old, old cousins who have known each other <laughs> for fifty years. And I miss you all of the time.
1: Yes, it was a lot of fun.
0: I have been meaning to ask you: Is "flowers in the gutter" in any? It can't possibly be because it would be so inappropriate given the subject matter. But is it in any way a reference to "flowers in the attic"? And also, please say yes.
1: It is not other than that the titles. Are similar.
0: Damn. I mean, again, totally makes sense. It'd be really weird if you were referencing that book in like a, a history of of teenage Nazi resistance fighters. But it does sound like an amazing like eighties musical adaptation of Flowers in the Attic. <laughs> and I do want you to make that your next project, if you wouldn't mind. Once you're finished I'll, with this I'll do one, that. I got that. Got that. Thank you so so much. Um, I I wonder how it feels going from being at summer camp with me. To having to advise a bunch of strangers, how did these questions strike you? Are you looking forward to any of them more than any others?
1: Um, I re- you have a really hard job of, you know, helping people with these these questions because you just get such a little snippet of them, um, and what they're willing to share, and it's you know only only half of or you know a part of the story, so. Yeah, I'm excited to kind of dive in and and see how it goes.
0: I I am too. But yes, I think I I share your sense of you get such a narrow window into people's lives. I think one of the things that helps is I, I have a vivid imagination and it's easy for me to get judgmental. So I start out thinking, gosh, I know so little. And then I end up by saying, I've filled in all of the blanks. I know exactly who everyone is. And here's what needs to happen, (laughs) which may or may not be true at all, but sure feels narratively satisfying. Yes. So I will read our first letter, which has a lot going on in it. All your classics, um, secretly judging your partner's relationship to food changing your own relationship to food, and kind of announcing that other people have to do it with you, uh, and and different relationships to video-based social media. So it's it, there's a lot of there there, and I'm very excited about it. The subject is TikTok teetotaler. My fiance and I, 45 female and 31 female, have both struggled with weight loss our entire lives. I've had to set pretty strict boundaries with my family about diet talk, which has worked pretty well. Her family doesn't really talk about diets, although they were big on fad diets when she was growing up. About the time we started dating, I decided I was going to stop hating my body and just try to eat intuitively and whatever sounded good. This wasn't inspired by her exactly, but it was helpful to see her as an example of someone who was both fat and happy, which I had thought of as almost mutually exclusive growing up. Five years later, I have a number of health problems, some of which might be helped by a change in diet. I'm willing to consider a change now from my new vantage point, but only sustainable changes that are scientifically validated, like with published, peer-reviewed research. Since we got together, my fiancé has gotten really into TikTok and YouTube videos and repeats a lot of health and diet information from these sources as if they were authoritative. When I mentioned that I had read a book and that I wanted to decrease the amount of sugar we eat, she got mad and started crying because, quote, I call her dumb when she wants to make a change. I've never called her dumb, but sometimes when she has shared misinformation, I have asked, is this from TikTok? Or said, I don't think that's true. And I can understand her reaction. I'm sure that my body language and tone have been dismissive, but I'm privately pretty upset that she thinks my scientifically validated plans are worth the same thing as some meat and fruit diet she's heard about in a random video. I really don't know what to do about this. Letting it go feels like a self-betrayal, but we both have a lot of baggage around the topic, and I'm having a hard time respecting her choices. I'm sure that on some level I am worried that my own plan is equally useless and that there isn't anything that will actually help me. I'm currently receiving medical treatment to the extent that it will help. The next steps for me are inching along the spectrum away from rigid scientific validation and into murkier territory. So as I said, lots of there there. I do think I want to free us from feeling like we need to offer any kind of medical advice by just saying like the letter writer is already receiving medical treatment. I don't want us to worry about wading into that at all. Like we don't we don't have to make any kind of a value judgment about what plan she may or may not be following or like what symptoms that may or may not resolve. So if that sounds good to you, we will just set all that
1: to the side. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Great. Although I do, now that I've said that, I kind of like got a little power trip and I was like, but maybe I should start giving medical advice to people on this show. I'll
1: I don't think, think about it. I don't think so. I'm not sure. I don't think so.
0: Can, um, I, can I tell you the sentence that like leapt out to me the most?
1: Yes, please. So, you know, again, a lot of this,
0: I can just, uh, it makes sense to me. I get why there would be like tension or difficulty here. But the sentence that really interested me was when I mentioned that I had read a book and that i wanted to decrease the amount of sugar we eat that that was fascinating to me cuz cuz that never comes up again it's it's all about like how do i respect our different positions but it sounds like the letter writer's approach has been i have an idea now we're going to follow through with my plan and that seems like a pretty different question than how do i learn to respect my partner's like interest in TikTok. It's like, it's. it sounds like you're kind of expecting her to join you on this new diet plan.
1: Yes? Absolutely. And I think that like going back to what the letter writer has earlier of her family doesn't really talk about diets, although they were big on fad diets when she was growing up. And so to me, that's kind of like, okay, you know, the idea that you're parents or your family or whoever it is that you're living with would tell you how to eat is clearly something that the partner has experienced in the past and the idea that you know you would then come in and and say like you know I want to decrease the amount of sugar we eat there could be some really like you know triggering bad stuff going on with that that you know letter writer may or may not realize is happening and also just telling anybody what they should or shouldn't be eating is a very dangerous territory to wade into um you know if it's like i want to reduce the amount of sugar i know it'd be easier if we do it together what do you think about that like that's one thing but just saying like i want to decrease i'm i'm going to control something about what you're doing yeah seems sca- problematic to me. <laughs>
0: yeah, and and I feel like there was maybe a little bit of the sort of zeal of the convert here that was maybe also sort of going hand in hand with that line about like I'm also nervous that none of this is going to be helpful and I'm just, you know, setting myself up for a fall, which is sort of like I for 5 years did something that I felt comfortable with. Now I'm experiencing like medical problems that I want to try to treat by changing my diet, which like again, just Okay, fine. Like that's your call. I don't know what the symptoms are. I don't know what the diet is. Uh, hopefully, it's nothing bananas, uh, but it doesn't sound like it is because you're you're looking at, at books and papers. Uh, books and papers are very safe and important. It was also a little bit funny though because it's like. Diet books are among some of the most unregulated uh, publications I can think of. And again, like I I respect and appreciate that the letter writer is talking about, I want published and peer-reviewed research. But it was just a little funny to hear like, well, she got her information from TikTok. I got mine from a book. And it's like, do you know how many insane diet books are out there that say the most deranged things? Um,
1: And what's to say that the TikTok isn't, you know... A registered dietitian or something who also happens to have a book, you know, but is just choosing to disperse that information on TikTok. Um, and that was another thing that stuck out to me. Of sometimes when she's shared misinformation, for me, I've asked, "Is this from TikTok?" Where I don't think that's true, and that felt like. Letter writer then says, "I can understand her reaction." I'm sure my body language and tone has been dismissive. But the idea that instead of asking, where did you find that information? Or where did you hear that? Or, you know, something a little bit more open-ended of saying like, is this from TikTok? And therefore being dismissive of it. Or just being straight out dismissive and saying, I don't think that's true. You know, I think that's gonna, it's gonna hurt somebody's feelings when you say something like that. Kind of almost no matter what your tone is, um, just because that statement is dismissive of what they're thinking or experiencing.
0: Yeah. And I think there's a way for the letter writer to walk through that, uh, which is to say, certainly if you disagree with a, a question of fact with your partner, I wouldn't say like, pretend something is true. But I would maybe encourage this letter writer to go back to their partner and say, I really take seriously the fact that the last time we talked about this, you said that, I make you feel foolish. Um, and I've thought about it. And I, I think that you're right that I have maybe not like outright said, like, I think this is dumb, but I've communicated through my tone or through my body language that I thought what you were saying was pretty dumb. And I want to not do that. You know, if I disagree with you or if I don't, don't think that a source is like a, a rigorous one, I do want to be able to disagree about that kind of thing. But one thing I don't want to do is like preemptively treat you with contempt Um, Or make you feel stupid or ask, frankly, a snide question like, is this from TikTok? Like, if you want to disagree with a statement, disagree with the statement, but do so in a way that still respects her as a person. I think that's a sort of fundamental approach to argument with a partner that will go a long way. And so I I think that will also just go a long way towards making her feel less defensive if you open with, hey, what you said last time we quarreled about this, I thought about it, you were right, and I'm sorry. Um, Just because that, I think, will make her feel you know, a little safer, a little bit more like she can trust you, a little bit less defensive. And like you take her seriously as a thinker, even if you don't like this habit of hers, even if you never agree about like sources on diet information to just really commit to. But I'm not going to be snide. I'm not going to keep like talking about the platform. And I just am going to again, like look for opportunities not to fight about food, I think is always good. But like if you do occasionally want to briefly talk about something food related to, to just really stick to, well, here's what I've seen and, and not feel like I've got to fight it out with you no matter what. But I I would also say, I would really encourage you letter writer to not say, I want to decrease the amount of sugar we eat. I realize lots of partners eat many of their meals together. um, and so in some ways it would be easier and more convenient, but I just think frankly, let her decide how much sugar she wants to eat just because you're it, it, it's, it's it's really hard to make that like fun and sexy if you're trying to monitor how much sugar your partner's eating, unless you have a very specific kind of arrangement. Um, and I just think you'll be a lot happier if you're like, you know what, if I need to like make a few changes, I don't know, like you make a big batch of oatmeal together and then you have slightly different toppings, right? Yeah, we were talking about this up at at summer camp because because you and I were talking about um, how your partner loves like a certain set number of meals. And so there's sometimes that you two eat together, but differently. And sometimes that you eat the same thing at the same time. Sorry for just being like, and you told me about you and your partner, (laughs) and your relationship to food. Why don't we broadcast that on the air now?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it's fine because I mean, but that's the thing is like you can come to those kinds of decisions together of like, we want to do this or we want to do that. I mean, we're both vegetarians. That just happens is part of the reason we're together. It wasn't a decision we made together. Mm -hmm. And it does make things a lot easier. Like I never have to worry about like, oh, I'm sure he wishes there were meat in this, you know, food that I've cooked. Mm -hmm. So it does make things easier. But at the same time, the idea that one of us would tell the other one, oh, you, you know, we should, even like the, because the we should do this isn't, there's an implicit, you should do this. And you're never sure whether that means like, I'm supposed, you know, that person, like he's doing it, she's doing it because they want to do it and they want me to join, or they're saying something to me that I should be doing and couching it in a we rather than a, you should be doing this. And that's also kind of just, I think... I think when we hear, oh, you know, we should do something, it can be taken very much as a, you should be doing this.
0: Yeah. And I think especially when your partner is already struggling with feeling dismissed and um, disrespected by you to also add on top of that. And I kind of want to like make her eat less sugar, not make, like I I, I I can totally understand or believe that she has at times expressed a desire to, but I would say, even if she says like, I want to do this together really just keep your eyes on your own plate very much literally. Because yeah, I think that that's just like a, sorry to say recipe for disaster in a conversation (laughs) about food, but it's like, I'm just thinking like my partner kind of thinks I'm dumb for watching TikTok, kind of makes me feel stupid when we argue and wants to monitor my sugar levels. I'm just like, oh, that's going to be a bad breakup. Yeah. Um, I would, I would take those things off the table. And so I think that Letting it go feels like a self-betrayal is is maybe the most crucial line for me here is this idea of not fighting about this would make me feel like I was betraying my deepest self. That gives me a lot of pause because I can really understand why you would be a a little alert to the possibility that your partner is like subject to bad misinformation on TikTok. I I can get that. But man, on the other hand, I think you've brought this up a lot with her already. And it doesn't seem to have changed her mind. And so I would just say, if, if the idea of letting it go feels that impossible, I would maybe encourage you to find a couples counselor, maybe. I, again, not that you have to commit to go for the rest of your life, but just somebody who can help you achieve a goal of like, I want to not make each other cry when we talk about food and i want to make a lot of room and space for each other to make our own choices. i think that would be a reasonable goal that has nothing to do with changing your diet, changing your weight, um or convincing one another of anything, so much as just like making food not a fight between you. i think that would be a really good goal to go in for.
1: Yeah, i agree. I i think just
0: like yeah, the the underlying stuff here is like i'm afraid what i want to do isn't going to be effective. And i think there's that sort of hope that but if i can be effective in changing my partner's mind or persuading her to see things from my point of view, then I will feel like I've accomplished something and I won't be afraid of like failure or risk or uncertainty or, or illness. And I I think it's just all always really good both to try to take care of yourself in the best ways that you can, but also to be aware, when am I trying to manage my anxiety about some things that may be outside of my control by trying to control the person nearest to me?
1: Yeah. And also that I'm having a hard time respecting her choices to me says a lot of you know obviously if somebody's doing something very harmful we're in a different situation but in in terms of this it doesn't sound as if the partner has any you know that there there's not health issues going on um and so you do have to respect somebody's choices of of what they're doing you know if it's not Harming them if that's just their choice, then you know. It, and it's hard, it's easier said than done, right? Like just mm-hmm. just respect their choices. But that's what it is in a relationship. Sometimes is just to accept um, what somebody else is doing and know that it's not about harming you and not about harming them. And
0: yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I think I often on this show want to encourage people to have difficult but necessary conversations or to like pursue conflict. This I think is definitely an area of life where a really great goal is just not fighting. Um, Frankly, more sometimes even than like combating misinformation. I think not fighting with other people about food is like one of the highest goals just because there's so many different ways for it to go wrong and so few ways for it to go right that it's just like, man, when in doubt, make your food goal. I'm not arguing with other people. And I'm doing my best to be, you know, happy and healthy. Great.
1: And end of list. That is so well said. That is so well said. I love that. I think that would be a great, that'd be a great goal for everybody. You know, there's just like so
0: many ways to have slightly disordered eating that I think we should just have like more modest goals of we don't fight. Um, Other subjects, no, but this one, yes. So that's my last. Don't make
1: make people cry. That's
0: a... (laughs) Seriously, And I also then, of course, was thinking of you because when we were eating our mostly wonderful cafeteria food, there would be so many days when they like had almost come up with a really solid vegetarian option. And then at the last second veered away and they're like, we got to put sausage on this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but they also had seltzer on tap. So, you know, made up for it.
0: That seltzer on tap was really, really glorious. I I do often find myself looking at my sink at home and thinking there's no bubbles in here. This is garbage. <music> Would you read our second letter, which has nothing to do with seltzer or food?
1: No. Um, Subject, mothers of the bride. I am adopted and I am in contact with my biological mother, much to the displeasure of my adoptive mom. My mom has raised me since I was a small baby and I only found my biological family as an adult. I've walked a fine line between the two, so as not to upset my adoptive parents My dad is no longer living, but now things have come to a head. My boyfriend and I just got engaged, and we are trying to plan a small ceremony for close friends and family. I obviously want to have my mom there, but I want to invite my biological mother and her husband too. My biological mother has no issues with my mom, but I feel like there would be so many issues for my mom and a lot of stress even before the big day. Half of me wants to tell my mom to get over it for me and the other half just wants to elope so I don't have to deal with any of it. What should I do?
0: Oh, I mean, I I feel a, a great deal of affection for this letter writer. Is there any place that you feel like would be most useful to start or any particular principle that you would want this letter writer to bear in mind?
1: The thing that came to me first of just that, that being in contact with a biological mother is to the displeasure of the adoptive mom. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an understandable point for the adoptive mom to come from just in terms of thinking like of being hurt or maybe feeling like they're going to be replaced or, you know, that that somehow the mom is going to feel like less of a mom um, because of the biological mother And I'm not, I don't know if that's something that the letter writer has considered because it's not in the letter, but that's just something that kind of comes to my mind in the first instance that, you know, the mom might be feeling a certain way. And it sounds like it hasn't been that long Mm -hmm. since the biological mother has come into the picture. And so that, you know, it might still feel new in general. And that was just kind of like my first consideration of, you know, considering like just having that thought of like, what is upsetting to my mom about this? Mm-hmm. Why is she upset? And then kind of to think from there, okay, what if that's, if if I know the reason my mom's upset, then maybe I can work to a better conclusion than just telling your mom to get over it, which if you ever tell your mom to get over something, I feel like that's just like not, moms don't respond well to that. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then, you know, the other idea of eloping, so I don't have to deal with any of it, like that might hurt so many people. It might hurt your your mom, your boyfriends, you know, now fiancés, parents, your friends. Um, so that those two options might actually upset the most <laughs> amount of people.
0: Yeah, I I do want, Anyone who writes in to feel free to elope, certainly, but this didn't seem like, I I feel like usually when I hear from people who are happy to have eloped, it's sometimes because there was like a lot of family difficulty, but it's more like, we just really wanted to like have it just be about us, not worry about anybody else, celebrate later. We had a great time. Whereas I think the underlying problem would still be an issue here. And things would still probably be coming to head. So of course, letter writer, you can elope. You are allowed to, absolutely. And if you're like, well, there's going to be a lot of stress about this, but I'd rather have it after I get married than before. That's totally fine. You're entitled to. But if you wouldn't really rather elope and you just sort of feel like, gosh, I wish I could get this out of the way, I would probably actually encourage you to talk about it with your adoptive mother first. I also feel weird too, because like, I don't love saying like, biological and adoptive mother. It feels like a little bit dismissive of both of them somehow, but I, I'm also just, you know, there's not like a, mom one and mom two would also be confusing. So I guess I just want to acknowledge, like, i realize realized there's more between you and the mom who gave birth to you than just biology at this point. And I realize that adoptive mom can sometimes sound like, you know, honorary mom. I don't mean it in either of those ways. So, uh, Or maybe I'm just putting that all on the page and none of that's actually present, but I feel a little bit goofy. Um, I do wish I knew more like, you know, the letter writer says to the displeasure of my adoptive mom, I feel like there would be so many issues from my mom and stress before the big day. And I'm just curious, does that mean like she would seem unhappy and you would have a really difficult time not feeling that with her? Do you mean she would make a lot of snide comments that felt like cheap and unfair Do you mean that she would like pick fights with you? Do you mean that she would try to get in touch with your other? Like, I I kind of just don't know here. And I'm really curious, like, to what degree is she acting out versus to what degree is she just visibly kind of sad or worried or anxious and you don't know how to handle that? Did you get a strong read on this, Christina? Like, did you think, oh, I think that like the mom is really talking out of turn or maybe it's just a, a vibe?
1: I got I got the sense that it was just a vibe that the my mom as a letter writer says I just got that it was a vibe because I thought that if my you know my mom was doing other things that maybe the letter writer would have included that yeah. of you know saying that I shouldn't be in contact with you know my biological mother or explicitly asking me are you going to invite her, you know, to the wedding or, you know, there there weren't specifics like that, which led me to think that it was just a vibe.
0: Yeah. I, okay. So I think that's my read as well. So we can kind of assume not necessarily that the mom has been like saying and doing really out of pocket stuff, but she has been in some ways directly, in some ways indirectly communicating. She doesn't like this. She would rather the letter writer weren't in touch. Or, or just like has something she wants to say that she hasn't quite said. And so, you know, letter writer, I don't know what kind of relationship the two of you have historically. Normally letters like this will include something about my mom is great or my mom's difficult, but I love her. But there's no sense in this letter of like, do you like your adoptive mom? Do you have a an otherwise good relationship? Do you feel close to her? Do you feel affection for her? Does she kind of drive you nuts? Do you not feel especially close to her? Because I feel like that would sort of inform my answer.
1: Yeah, Um, I think that's true. I I think the idea that there would be so many issues from my mom and a lot of stress before the big day, and half of me wants to tell my mom to get over it, that to me signals a little bit of, you know, perhaps you are less concerned with how your mom how your mom would take it. And in in that case, if that's the kind of relationship that the letter writer has, then perhaps, perhaps that's an okay way to go. But if that might be a detriment to a otherwise good relationship, like if the relationship is great, aside from this, you know, being in contact with the biological family, if that's the only problem with the relationship, then it's probably worth you know, talking about that and exploring it more rather than making your mom upset about something in perpetuity that, you know, is going to continue being a thing. You know, if the letter writer and the boyfriend end up having kids, you know, then there's going to be situations where adoptive mom and um, biological mother as the letter writer uses the terms, are going to want to be around or letter is going to want to have them around. So, you know, this is not the end of it either. You know, this is probably one of the beginning points of this ongoing relationship that needs to be figured out. Yeah. So I think I've been trying to do a lot of like after the fact digging
0: and I'm just not going to get answers to some of these things. But the fundamental question of like, can I understand why your mother might feel insecure or anxious that you're now also in touch with your biological mother? Sure. But I really don't think that it's appropriate for her to be taking that out on you. And I think frankly, if you adopt a child and you you haven't sort of prepared yourself for the possibility that someday they may get in touch with and even become close with some of the members of their family of origin, you've really done yourself a disservice. Yeah. So I do think that, Since it sounds like things are going fairly well with your biological mother, um, you don't have to use the actual phrase, get over it to your other mother. But I think to essentially sit down with her for a conversation, maybe include your partner, maybe not, where you just say, you know, X, Y, and Z things you have said or done have made it clear that you're really uncomfortable or even unhappy with my relationship with my biological mother. And I need you to know two things. One is it's okay for you to have difficult feelings about this. I don't, hold that against you. But the other is they are totally inappropriate for you to communicate them to me. If you need to share them with a therapist or with close friends of yours or in a support group, I want you to do that. But you cannot share them with me for pretty obvious reasons. And you will not be able to convince me not to have a relationship with her. That's not a possibility. But you will be able to damage my relationship with you if you keep making digs or sighing or rolling your eyes or whatever it is that she's doing or saying. So what I need from you is to take these feelings anywhere else and and figure out what you need and to accept that she is also in my life and that that doesn't take anything away from you. I hope that you can do that. I would love for you to be able to do that. I think you're capable of it, um, which I, I realize, again, kind of does amount to get over it, but at least... Does a little bit more in terms of like acknowledging that she is a person with complicated feelings and is not super dismissive, but but yeah, to just let her know in advance, I would like her to be at the wedding, and I hope that you would be able to um, be like civil and polite. If if you're both there, uh, this is your you know heads up. Uh, do what you need to do to get there because you need to. I, I think. Maybe that feels like I am just saying get over it in so many words, but just letting her know what you need from her um, and, and telling her that uh, you were done sort of passively absorbing her visible discomfort, um, I, I think is probably the best way short of eloping and hoping the problem fixes itself or just telling her to fuck off. I mean, you can always tell people to fuck off, but it's nice to like leave that in reserve because it's hard to walk
1: that one back. (laughs) Once you've said that, there's not a lot left to say. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then for you, letter writer, the lesson will be how do I um, offload some of this stress? Like if my mom is upset and that... Of course, that affects you. Of course, that's not just going to feel neutral. But then to sort of figure out, how do I not live there with her? Like, if my mom is in a state of real agitation, I don't have to go with her there. I can say, it's sad that you are. I hope you get over this. You don't have to have this problem. Um, Because sometimes people have problems that they have, like, given themselves, you know? Like, as soon as you decide to stop being irrationally jealous of my biological mother— The sooner you yourself will be happier, you and I will have a better and easier relationship, you will realize that she is not taking anything away from you. But nobody can convince you to stop having this problem but you.
1: Yeah. And on on that, the letter writer might also want to do a check. You know, maybe, um, I don't know if they have any other siblings or with the boyfriend, but to say is this thing that I'm experiencing real? Like, do you see it too? Mm -hmm. Or am I, you know, kind of invent, not, I don't want to say inventing because that feels very strong, but maybe seeing more of an issue where it's not as big of an issue. And obviously if you have a conversation with your mom, you know, you're going to figure that out also. But even before that step to just say like, hey, boyfriend, like, I think that this is an issue do you see it too mm-hmm. you know do you think that my mom is having these issues do you th- you know do you and you know maybe just having that conversation will be like no i i don't i don't see i don't see a lot of that and you know sometimes we can build up stuff in our minds a lot stronger than it is which isn't to diminish um the letter writers feelings and maybe even a little bit of issue from the mom causes the letter writer a lot of stress but to just kind of be aware of like you know what is what are those other perceptions too
0: yeah yeah and i think just generally to try to figure out as an adult not like how do i not give a shit what's going on with my mother but like if my mom is mad at me or annoyed with me or upset with me over something that i don't take responsibility for and i don't believe needs to be causing a problem how do i just let it go like sometimes yeah. my mom's going to be mad right. at me and i just don't I need to not feel like, oh, no, my mom's mad. I've got to fix this. This is so stressful. As opposed to like, yeah, she's being a little nuts right now. Hope she gets over it. And again, like you can obviously take that too far and become <laughs> like dismissive and contemptuous of your mother when she needs like, you know, respect or mutuality. But in this particular situation, like as soon as she resigns from the like hitting yourself club, she's going to be a lot happier. Yeah. Like right now she needs to stop hitting herself. And I really hope she stops hitting herself. But that's pretty much it. I also want you to know, Christina, that uh, during this last question, my producer, Phil, texted me to say that uh, Ben, who's in the booth next to me, uh, just revealed to me that he recently did a whole radio hour about the history of the banjo. So
1: Cool. (laughs) Okay, maybe I know Ben.
0: I can't wait to, uh, you're working on a book?
1: No, if uh, it yeah, came keep out, keep up, Ben. And then...
0: She's the author of Well of Souls. It's out. You missed it, bud. Okay, yeah, no,
2: I uh, I found that there weren't nearly enough books about it. There was. Uh, I interviewed that guy who wrote, you know, a history of, of, of the banjo, and uh, Rihanna okay. Giddens, who it just yeah. has. Anytime you chat with her, is ready to give the full banjo history. She's so great, and yeah. Bayla Fleck as well, who I just wanted a chance my just to impress my mom. I just called him up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Rhiannon wrote the foreword to the book, so she's a good friend. She's
2: I'm great. not at all surprised. Is the
0: banjo is the banjo history community a small one, or is it like bigger than you might think?
1: Yeah, okay. it's very small. It's
2: very small. yeah. You know, we uh we got around, but yeah, that uh, my show I think came out in 2020 or maybe 2021, but early in the year.
0: Does does the banjo community feel like Steve Martin and the Steep Canyon Rangers, like? Brings good attention to the community, or is it like, oh, what a dilettante?
2: My experience was that people who like are into the banjo kind of have like a an origin, like they got into it for a stupid reason. So They don't judge anyone who not a lot of gatekeeping the same. in the banjo community. they were like, well, I heard the the beginning of Beverly Hillbillies, and I was like, what is this sound? <laughs> and then and then they moved on past that. So I don't know what uh, Christina, your experience was. <laughs>
1: um, I, it was through like fiddle and just like.
0: You, like American folk music, if you will. I noticed that um, you carefully so. didn't give an opinion of Steve Martin. I noticed that you sidestepped that one neatly.
1: Me or Bag Yeah, you. No, I think, I mean, like honestly, <laughs> I think like if he, you know, wants to, you know, get people into the band, yeah, not a lot of gatekeeping, like literally <laughs> why, whatever reason you want, it's, you know, that's my advice. Like, any reason you want to get into the banjo other than a racist reason if it's a racist reason please don't but if it's not a racist reason then like by all means get into it i
0: just thought it'd be fun if there was like low-grade banjo gossip that i could get in on and i apologize for trying to start something (laughs) between you and steve martin who i'm sure is a lovely person
1: He also lives in a concrete house, which I don't think would sound good when you're playing banjo. So I feel like maybe he plays banjo somewhere else that's not his concrete house. Quick question. How
0: did you know that Steve Martin lives in a concrete house?
1: It was like in an architect. I don't know. Somebody was sharing videos of it once. I'm pretty. Oh, Okay. Yeah, I'm
0: Googling it. And it is a big old concrete house.
1: And I think that was the thing is like somebody shared it and was like, look, it's Steve Martin's crazy house. And like the first thing I thought of was like, that's not good banjo acoustics. The,
0: I love that that was where your mind went. Um, the interior is concrete. That's so unpleasant. I, I just like have this really sad image now of him like in this huge, lonely, concrete castle playing the banjo and barely able to hear himself.
1: <laughs> just
0: like tons of reverb. Ugh. Well... Whatever makes you happy. And also, according to today.com, he sold it back in 2015. So I guess he's Oh, fine.
1: okay. All right. Yeah. Well, so he doesn't live there anymore. Apparently. I don't know. It just says that he was selling it.
0: There's no follow-up, unfortunately, whether like he did or didn't sell it.
1: I'm going to have to go look that up on the real estate website, see if it sold some property. Right, well, okay. Hang like on. Those
0: Pause. Because it looks like he put it on the market back in 2015. But then there's an article from Architectural Digest that says he put it on the market in 2019. All right, I'm going to have to look into his real estate holdings later. This is going to get me like <laughs> totally derailed. But um, thank you for reminding us that the uh, you know banjo community is an open one, albeit uh, one that has to be on the lookout for uh, active racists. Christina, thank you so much for helping me try to advise a bunch of people.
1: Thanks for having me, Danny. We'll oh my gosh, it was you. just
0: so nice to hear your voice again. You should uh, come up to Brooklyn tomorrow. I'm having Elisa and Julia over for dinner, and I'm making a big <laughs> vegetarian feast of the kind that you should have gotten when we were up in the Berkshires.
1: Oh ah, ah, well, Oh ah, well, you know, I'll mail you a mushroom. That sounds great. That sounds, really and I'll see good you idea.
0: in September, and I'm really looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. Also, you're
0: perfect. Never change.
1: No, I'm going to write in all my problems to you. Please do. Like I did, like I texted you my problems today.
0: I won't mention any of them on the air, but I will say that you were totally right. (laughs) The Other parties (laughs) were wrong. I love that answer. It's true. Okay, thank you again so much. Have a fabulous rest of your day and I miss you.
1: Thanks, you too. Talk to you soon. Bye.
0: Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. here's a preview of our slate plus episode coming this friday again i think it sounds like you know you can't make her get sober you're not going to have like an intervention necessarily where you're all flying back in from out of town sitting around the room and reading a bunch of letters to her but to have you know even if it's just a brief one conversation of um your drinking is not only hurting you but it causes you to hurt people around you And that's wrong. I just think that's really important to say. Again, even if she responds badly, it will still have been worth saying. And then for you, the next sort of question is how can I get support, whether that's through Alan on or therapy or just with your own siblings or talking about it with your friends or other people? Anything that would feel useful for you, in part because I want you all to feel like you are able to live lives of general, like, Usefulness, peacefulness, serenity uh, that does not depend upon whether or not your sister gets sober. So it's not like she gets to hold you hostage where I'll never really be okay. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.